As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to Full Time with Meg Linehan. I'm Meg, and you are listening to a show all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am currently in Portland for this weekend's semifinal between the Thorns and Chicago Red Stars. We've got Matt Pence for you. He'll be in Tacoma for OL Reign versus the Spirit. And Steph Young is back this week, so we can catch up on all of the NWSL stuff that's happening, the U.S. Women's National Team roster, and, you know, discuss Red, Taylor's version, because we know what we're about. Before we get to the rest of today's episode, as always, to show your support of full-time, plus get all of our women's soccer coverage and everything else The Athletic has to offer on our site and app, you can subscribe right now at theathletic.com slash full-time. Right now, it is just $4 a month for your new annual subscription. It's the perfect time to join. We've got the postseason in full swing, the U.S. Women's National Team friendlies in Australia coming up, and then double drafts in December for the NWSL. I think we're going to have a wild week next week, so get in on it now while you can. All right, on to the news. We will start with the U.S. Women's National Team roster drop. Now you're going to hear most of these names again, so sorry. But here is the new roster for the two upcoming matches against Australia. I've got a full roster breakdown at The Athletic, and we're going to dig into this a lot today. For goalkeepers, we've got Bella Bixby, Jane Campbell, and Casey Murphy. For defenders, Alana Cook, Abby Dahlkemper, Turner Davidson, Emily Fox, Sophia Huerta, Becky Sauerbrunn, and Emily Sonnet. For midfielders, Lindsay Horan, Rose Lavelle, Katerina Macario, Christy Mewis, Ashley Sanchez, and Andy Sullivan. For forwards, Bethany Balser, Ashley Hatch, Margaret Purse, Sophia Smith, Lynn Williams, and Morgan Weaver. All right, on to NWSL. San Diego has a name. Welcome to San Diego Wave Football Club. No crest or colors yet, but those sound like they are in the final stages of wrapping up. I think we're going to hear about those before we get to the double drafts in December. All right, the news that no one expected this week is uh, sanctions on Angel City concerning tampering. Here's the direct NWSL statement. The National Women's Soccer League announced today that Angel City Football Club has been found in violation of the league tampering policy regarding New Jersey, New York, Gotham FC forward Ali Long. As a result of the league's findings, Angel City Football Club has been fined $20,000 in cash and $20,000 in 2022 unfunded allocation money. Now, 
this I think is going to be a bit of a continuing story, but definitely interesting. And I think also a little revealing about some of these internal politics across the NWSL. So stay tuned on this front. But again, interesting that Angel City just kind of keeps getting fined by the league when other other teams might be doing the same thing. All right. Semifinals in the NWSL are this weekend, and here's how you're watching. OL Reign host the Spirit in the first match on Sunday, November 14th. It's 3 p.m. Eastern on CBS Sports Network. Then the Thorns host the Red Stars, same channel, 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Twitch for both games if you are an international viewer. All right. Steph is here. We're just going to get right into it. All right, Steph. We have semifinals waiting for us on Sunday. I want to start with Chicago-Portland because you just spoke to Morgan Gatra and Angela Salem. So what what are the main takeaways from that conversation for Sunday's game? Uh, for Sunday's game, it would be that, well, both of them, obviously, we're trying not to blow up their spot tactically, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that they're, for Chicago, they kind of pushed back, or Morgan at least pushed back a little bit on the idea that Chicago is a team that can withstand you and withstand you and withstand you and then all of a sudden, like, punch you really hard. Um, I think mm-hmm. she kind of, I mean, she agreed that that's true, but she wanted to point out, like, but we can also punch you really hard without having to, like, withstand you first, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. And then Salem yeah. was kind of on the same. She's like, yeah, that's how I perceive Chicago. As for us, um, we're just happy to know we're playing Chicago because the whole week before the first round, you don't know who you're facing. So you just kind of had to sit there and be like, okay, it's one of two teams, but, you know. Yeah, it's two very different approaches yeah. if you're playing Chicago or if you're playing Gotham. Yeah, and Portland is the one that lost the last time that they played Chicago. It took them a little while to figure out what Chicago is up to and to kind of get on the same page and, you know, kind of deal with um, getting overrun in the midfield because Chicago, like Salem noted, can kind of put – they can put six in the midfield at one time and just really – it's like when the <clears throat> ghosts come out in the Pac-Man level <laughs> – Yeah, it it really is like having been in Chicago for the Chicago Gotham game. It's just like, you know, we were joking in the press box after the the media conference. And I was just like, it's kind of like the vibe of your older sibling getting a pillow and like putting it over you (laughs) and then sitting on you. Right. Like, that's what it feels like to watch Chicago where you can't really fight it. You're just getting smothered and it's by someone that's kind of like bigger than you. And you're just you have to like kind of sit there and be like, all right, I guess this is how like. I, Chicago is just fascinating to watch because there are so many things that like can go wrong on the field for Chicago. Like you look at their passing numbers and they're brutal and yet they will smother you. Yeah. I will say the one time that happened to me because me and my friend stole her brother's like water gun or Nerf weapon or something. He came and found us and literally stood on me, but I was too stubborn to give up. So I just slowly suffocated until he got bored and left. And it's kind of what you have to do with a suffocating team if you're not going to like, you know, you don't want to go end to end. You open yourself up in transition necessarily, but you kind of wait for them to be like, oh, I'm tired of this strategy. And then you pounce on the the little opening. Yeah. Or in my case, you get up and run off. (laughs) I just, I am really interested because obviously, you know, there's going to be 
I, I've brought this up plenty, but like you have that first game of the season between Chicago and Portland, and that is a result that is not an easy one to forget, right? Mm-hmm. A five nothing win, but also sometimes I do wonder what a game like that is actually who is going to benefit, right? Like you know, Portland has responded to their very one-sided loss against North Carolina, yeah. right? Like. Who does it motivate? Right. Because <laughs> I don't think it's Portland. And I think crucially um, for that first game, no Morgan Gatra and Thorns did have Crystal done. And now how the how the turntables. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. So, you know, the last time they faced each other, their midfields looked pretty different. And, you know, at this point now, we know all too well what Morgan Gatra can do. She's in form. The Thorns have obviously... Uh, adjusted on the fly. You're shaking your head at me like you think I'm doing something, but this behavior is nothing new for me. <laughs> we'll get to Taylor Swift right. in a bit. Anyway, so... Um, a lot of questions of media about, about Taylor Swift on Twitter when I was like, we're talking for the podcast. Who's got questions? Yeah. Anyway. Chicago. Chicago. Um, Treacherous midfield, you know, like we said, they just squeeze the life out of you until you make a mistake. And then um, I thought uh, Scott Parkinson pointed out pretty well. They give Mel Pugh a lot of responsibility to kind of do what she does best. They've got Kaleo Watt in the nine and Pugh's roaming a little bit. And then, you know, whenever they hit that pressing trigger, they're like Pew is able to take them very quickly into transition and just get there. So. Right. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that was, that was really the interesting thing from my conversation with Mal is that obviously she's, she's trying to figure out like how to get back to her roots and for her, her roots are driving at other players with the ball at her mm-hmm. feet. And I think saw that pay off a lot in that game against Gotham, but we've seen it pay off yep. all season too. I mean, especially that game against Orlando where I think she had like three Orlando defenders around here mm-hmm. her. And, you know, to be fair, Portland is a, a different, vibe but it will you know i think once again mal p is kind of the key to this team of if she can get the ball at her feet and a little bit of space um and even if there isn't a lot of space you know if they're able to hit that that pressure point really quickly it's it could be a very different game yep punch counter punch punch counter punch i think that's uh i think it's it's gonna make for it's either going to be a really fun game or <laughs> it's going to be a game where we're like, something happened, please, something happened. Yeah, I really hope it's the former because having been at Chicago Gotham where it was kind of like waiting for something to happen yeah. for a while, right? Mm-hmm. Of, you know, and again, we might kind of see the same model where Gotham had so much of the possession, especially in the first half, right? And then what comes of it? And I think Portland is going to be slightly better about making sure that possession actually turns into something, right? You're so much nicer but, than me saying slightly better at that than Gotham. <laughs> I, but I think, like, you know, we've seen Portland have finishing problems mm-hmm. over the past month or two, right? And so, you know, I think you just need... If, if playoffs are kind of this time of thin margins, right? Like, mm-hmm. you've got to hope that you can get you can ring out every single little bit of these opportunities that you're going to get against Chicago. I mean, Sarah Gordon isn't really going to give up a huge amount, right? right. Like again, that midfield, it's really hard to play against that Chicago <laughs> midfield. Cause they will just, 
they're so good at shutting down passing lanes. Yeah. Yeah, and you're right. Chicago's coming out of this pretty hot, and they, they've got a, a playoff win to give them momentum, whereas the Thorns have kind of just been sitting there in Portland just – I mean, it's yeah, resting. It is. Resting is nice, but right. at some point you've rested yeah. too long and you just want to play the game. It is going to be really interesting just to see what happens because I think home field advantage has been pretty important so far, right? It's only been one round, but I think it has been pretty important. But this is the first time that we've also gotten this like bye week in NWSL playoffs, right? And, you know, being in one of the, the oil rain um, media availabilities after their win in Kansas City, you know, I asked Megan Rapinoe about that and, you know, she joked that she was old and wants time off, but for them, they were viewing this week off as like a, as an advantage because they got one week to focus on themselves. Then they learn their opponent and they get a week to focus on how to play that opponent. So I think that there are pros, but also you do have a team like Chicago coming in hot or Washington coming in and feeling like, I mean, the way that they talk about, the spirit talk about themselves like they feel that they are a team of destiny right like so you have two teams coming in with a very different kind of emotional momentum than portland or ol rain i think so it's definitely it is an interesting thing that we just haven't really seen before in this league yeah i was gonna say like look at everything the spirit have overcome but like three of the four teams directly have been affected by some kind of reporting of awful news like in the playoffs so far. And it's not like Chicago is sitting there unaffected. The players all felt it really deeply. But yeah, like right. out of the spirit, the rain and the thorns, you know, there's all like this kind of emotional through line happening. But you're right. The spirit do have their own emotional narrative going on and they are red hot. Honestly, Chicago spirit would not be an awful final. I mean, I don't think that there's a bad combo out of any of these four teams, right? Like, and I think, you know, we do kind of get the narrative, right, of it's not going to be North Carolina. So there's going to be that element to it as well. I mean, Portland, Chicago, obviously, these are two teams that have been very regular presences in, in the postseason. I'm really interested to see, you know, Spirit really had come so close to winning a championship in 2016 mm-hmm. and then it really went down to, I mean, it went down to penalty kicks, right? So OL Rain has been there a couple of times and has always been thwarted by Flacco and Donofsky. Like, there are good storylines mm-hmm. for all four of these teams. I don't think that there's a bad combo. I mean, I, I will fully admit, like, a Portland OL Rain final, I think, is ideal for the league in many ways. A, because it is a rivalry game. B, you get one final Mark Parsons versus Laura Harvey uh, face-off before he heads to the Netherlands full-time. You get big-time players like Megan Rapino in a championship, right? Like, there's a lot of pros for the league, but I don't think that there's a bad combo, and I think all four teams really do. You know, you look at both Chicago struggling mightily at the first part of the season into into their journey to where they are now. But you also look at the spirit, right, and everything that they've gone through. Mm-hmm. I don't just the way that they they spoke after the the first round match against North Carolina. I mean that team like feels like they're about to run through a brick wall for each other. So I don't think that that can be overlooked as a factor. 
I mean, what a great advertisement for the teams in this league that the playoffs are like, there's no bad combo here. Everything is exciting. I think that's that's nice. <laughs> I like. I mean, it's a it's. I like it's nice, a nice thing. thing yeah. For all of us yeah. Nice yeah, things I feel much it. better right now than they normally do yeah. for obvious reasons. I do want to spend a little bit of time on Oal Rain and Spirit because I think that that is going to be a really interesting matchup. I mean, you get kind of the the Rose Lavelle angle of it mm-hmm. all too, right? Like. But I think, you know, I keep joking about this, but I really do think that there's something to it of Laura Harvey has been here before, right? And I think the team has really come together mm-hmm. in the the Laura Harvey time. But I do kind of wonder if there is something to Laura Harvey coming in second place with a team <laughs> rather than winning the Shield and that being the key to success. Because I, I just... I don't know. Like, I just, I North Carolina is its own thing, right? But for every other team, if you win the Shield, it has not worked out. <laughs> <laughs> and I just really kind of wonder, like, is this the the trick, right? Of having a little bit of something to prove mm-hmm. still, but also, I mean, that team has just gelled in a way that everyone was kind of waiting for it to gel. Like, I mean, you look at that roster, of course, and like you look at those starting 11s and you're just kind of like, yeah, this should make sense, right? And it finally is. With the the rain, the gelling, I mean, the early games before Ben Steedy left, sometimes you would look at that and it would be like seeing someone who has all the ingredients to make a cake. And then they put them all there in like the wrong amount in the wrong order. And it comes out looking like, you know, some of the there was an episode of Great British Bake Off this season where one of the contestants, this is earlier. So if you're spoiled by this, it's your fault, um, where she forgot to put flour into the technical (laughs) bake. And it came out looking like this awful sludge that you would find, you know, in a horse paddock. Um, Yeah. And that's kind of what that felt like to me where it's like why can you not just make the cake it doesn't even have to be a good cake just make a competent sponge and you will advance to the next round (laughs) yeah um yeah i mean it is kind of like you're trying to make a cake and you end up with like bread essentially right like it just never really seemed to to work i guess the question now is i mean i just I I do kind of wonder if we're almost going to get a repeat of last weekend where you had this very kind of not exactly pretty to watch first game. Although in this case, it's going to be reversed. Like Mm -hmm. you have one very tight controlled game and then you have one completely wide open game. Mm -hmm. And I think we might be in store for kind of the exact repeat of OL rain and Washington spirit is just going to be this kind of wide open nonsense where it's just two teams throwing haymakers at each other, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then you've got Portland, Chicago, where they're in a, a clinch the entire game, mm-hmm. and then finally someone gets a jab in, right? Like, those feel like the way that these two games could really play out, which is going to be kind of a repeat of last weekend. Spirit defense has been so good recently that you really have to do a lot of work into kind of pulling them apart to exploit that moment. But, you know... Rain does have some pretty good players who are who can really disrupt the back line, open up spaces, make runs, and they have one of the best midfielders, s- several of the best midfielders in the world. 
<laughs> like how you're like, wait. I was like, mm, you'll have to be more specific. Um, yeah, several of the best midfielders in the world to exploit that. And then on the other end, the Spirit, obviously, another team that can sit off maybe deeper than Chicago and defend and then open you up lightning quick through someone like Trinity Rodman. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I guess the question for the Spirit is what the absence of Tori Huster might mean. Yeah, she is out. Because I think that's going to, yep. So, but I mean, Andy Sullivan is obviously still in that midfield. Yeah. And Andy Sullivan, I think, has really shown that she has a an ability to be in the right spaces to help shut down other teams. But it's not quite the same situation of a Chicago, right, where it's suddenly like there's like 11 players in the midfield right. in a defensive way, not in the OL rain way where it's 11 players in the midfield all trying to attack at the same time. Right. I could I could so. see Seattle or, sorry, God, Tacoma, <laughs> OL, <laughs> the rain, um, trying to pry open that spirit defense and then the spirit keeping them honest because you look downfield, your center back winds up or whoever, Trinity Rodman takes off and it's like, you guys shouldn't have pressed so hard because guess what? Yeah. So we'll see. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. I want to talk about how the baseball field is going to play a role in this game because I think it is. That's true. What we just talked about, pulling a defense apart, that narrow field can really benefit the Washington spirit here where they're like, sure, you can pull us apart, but (laughs) like (laughs) how far can you really pull us apart when like if we all stood in a line with our arms out like in PE when we had to space off for whatever horrifying non-educational exercise we had to do you know to get into lines and then we four of us have basically covered the width of the field exaggerating a little bit but you know what i mean yeah so it's not quite kansas city baseball field but it's close yeah 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 um oh yeah (laughs) any do we want to do predictions do we want to do predictions i still i do think we're going to get a portland rain final Mm -hmm. um but i again i think it really can go where we could get any potential combination. Well, I called Chicago so. when I last talked to Alex for soccer every day. Um, another one of the fine podcasts provided to you by the athletic. <laughs> and I don't remember what I called with Washington, North Carolina, because I was less confident about that. I was more confident about Chicago Gotham because of their abilities and because the team that I like was playing. Got- <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, that's the team Gotham. that's going to lose. Gotham exists to cause pain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Rain, Washington, oh, so hard to call. 
I'll call it for Washington. Portland, Chicago. Okay. I'll call it for Portland. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I mean, I think that Chicago is absolutely capable of winning that game, but I just think Portland home in playoffs. I don't know. It, it, and also, again, like we've kind of got that narrative of they're going for four trophies third in a year. Oh, four trophies right? in First a year. Time yeah. Ever. yeah. So I just, I, I feel like there's a lot of weight behind that. So, you know, and I think there's also like, there is a weird effect of this being the end for Mark Parsons mm-hmm. in Portland too, right? Like that, that is going to be a driving force for players of sending him out with a trophy. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'm, I wish I could ask to what extent Rianne Wilkinson is being involved in this transition phase. I think it's interesting that they announced her now as opposed to the offseason. Well, they didn't announce her. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, she's there. And so she's going to be, I presume, at playoffs, especially now that it's out in the open. Um, Like, if she's already there and then she's supposed to watch. Anyway, sorry, I went off on a little. I was like, what if... So what if they were just trying to keep it a secret, but they wanted Rian at the playoffs. And so they just like had her in disguise the whole time, like with like a little mustache <laughs> and her hoodie up the whole time and sunglasses. And everyone's like, who's that assistant coach on the bench? And they're like, don't worry about that. Yeah. That's Schmian Schmilkinson. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it will be, I'll, I'm in Portland, so I will definitely have my, my eyes out for her if she's floating around. But I mean, I think it is an interesting thing of, potentially having a transition but also having that be complicated by the fact that it is playoffs and I feel like that is kind of a delicate and strange balance to try to strike in terms of wanting there to be a transition time but also it's kind of the worst possible time to do that right maybe she's just there literally like as the observers like I'm not here I'm sitting in the back of the class not involved I'm just you know getting used to the atmosphere right all right, let's let's swap topics entirely and talk U.S. Women's National Team roster. I think both of us, you know, everybody was waiting for this mm-hmm. one. Um, I mean, do we want to almost like power rank what we're most excited by in terms of this roster? We might have the same number one. That's such a big ask for power rankings. Um, and I don't know if we'll, we'll yeah, we'll have it. You want to say it on three? <laughs> one, two, three three midge midge yeah (laughs) yeah there we go midge versus forward midge versus forward yeah which i think everyone read that roster and was just like oh thank god and what is funny because you like listening to vlaco on the zoom that he did Mm -hmm. on roster drop day you know he got a little defensive of like listen we've always said that we know (laughs) that she's a good forward which was funny because i went back to my original article where i kind of Mm -hmm pushed him into talking about the potential conversion to outside back. Mm-hmm. And even in that quote that he gave me back in that day, like he was just like, we know that her best position is forward. Like he straight up said it. So he is right. But it is really funny to just kind of get that kind of like, all right, like we always knew, I promise, I promise. But also she's obviously been in form in this position and she gets, she, she deserves to be called right. as a forward. It would be almost team. foolish to have her come in at defense and tell her like come back be here at fullback and you know and especially when i mean do you want to go by position we can go from the back forward or we can start with the fullbacks now that 
I've provided that very good segue. <laughs> um, like if we look at the defenders that they called in, Alana Cook, Abby Dahlkemper, Tierna Davidson, Emily Fox, Fia Huerta, Sauerbrunn, and Sonnet. So your fullbacks in that pool are looking like Fox, Huerta, and Sonnet. And then, I don't know, he might try to push Alana Cook wide. I don't think he will. And then your centers, Cook, Dahlkemper, Davidson, and Sauerbrunn. I think, you know, trying to throw Midge in there when he's already got three fullbacks he's looking at to kind of put through their paces. Well, and especially especially when, you know, you've got Dunn out. Also, congrats, Crystal Dunn and Pierre um, for announcing the their pregnancy. But also, so Dunn is out and Kelly O'Hara has family obligations. So you've got your two, in theory, starting outside backs, not on this roster. So this is, this is forcing your hand mm-hmm. to actually figure out the depth of this position mm-hmm. and to figure out maybe if there are, because again, like Crystal Dunn doesn't have to be an outside back, right? Like there are other options for Crystal Dunn too. So like, could you look at someone else on the left and maybe get an answer there? I think this is a great opportunity for Sophia Huerta to force her hand, right? I know that both of us immediately looked at this roster and said, where is Caprice Idasco? Because <laughs> <laughs> we're a parody of ourselves, but you know, that there are, or Carson Pickett too, right, could potentially be another option. Like there are outside backs who are performing in the NWSL who deserve a look of actually like the, I mean, it is funny because Sofia Huerta is not, is a converted outside back herself, Mm -hmm. but like has found success in that role finally at the club level, right? Like that's always been the tension for a lot of these players is that they're looking at players and converting them into outside backs, but then they're not necessarily doing that at the club level. Right. And so there is kind of this like weird tension, but for Sofia Horta, it's finally worked at the club level and that has resulted in a national team call up. Yeah. I mean, I think it's an illustration of the strengths and weaknesses of the way that NWSL and the women's national team interact. It's a pretty neat little encapsulation of like, okay, here's the best case scenario, but also the worst case scenario in one player. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I think for someone like Huerta too, right? Like, you have Laura Harvey coming back from national team stuff. So I think there is a good kind of coaching overlap for her now in terms of like someone who's going to understand very specifically what is being asked of her if she's being looked at for an outside back with the national team, right? And can really truly make sure that the development at the club level is exactly geared to what the national team is looking for for outside back position. And so that is potentially a a really good thing for Huerta and maybe also the national team. But like that is in theory more what I think the system should work like you would think. Right. It, it relates to, so I talked about homegrowns earlier with Bella Bixby, who is someone else that we can talk about in just a minute <laughs> yes. where homegrown really heavily relies on everybody in the pipeline being in sync. It doesn't matter if you have a homegrown player, if they've had a different, system and different expectations and different values and different roles at every single step of the way. And I'm not saying that NWSL should be considered part of the pipeline to the women's national team. It should be its own entity that has value in and of itself and not just as like a a feeder system for the national team. But that is one of its values. Like that is some of the value that comes from the league, at least for the national team. So it's just like you said, because Laura Harvey has been in with the national team, she has a good working relationship with Vlatko. That's how you're able to maximize having a player who's having to transition back and forth between national team and club. 
All right, let's talk about Bella Bixby and the goalkeepers because this was the one where, you know, I'm reading the roster and you're reading the names and I'm just like, ooh, this is interesting in a way that we've literally never seen right. this team ever do something like this. I mean, hand forced again a little bit. Nair's injured. Yeah. Franch has a baby on the way in December. So, mm-hmm. and Australia is a little far away to be heading back this l- last minute. I was thinking of like Dana Tarasi being like, hold it in, babe, I'm coming. Right. But that's a shorter <laughs> yeah. flight back to Phoenix than it is Australia to wherever, Kansas City. So I I really like this, though. I think Bixby and Casey Murphy are two goalkeepers where it's like, yeah, I I love that they're getting rewarded for their performances this season. Um there's maybe a couple other goalkeepers in there that you might want to see, but I think we also need to keep in mind there is a January camp coming where they'll be able to call mm-hmm. in like 30-some, maybe 35 players. Yeah, it's usually 30. Yeah, yeah 30 plus. So, you know, this is a pretty restricted roster, 22. I'm sure there's travel constraints. Um, there's uh, uh, medical restraints that kind of make the logistics, they, they, they multiply the, the difficulty level of the logistics. I really like it. Yeah. I mean, and so what's interesting is I had the, the first question with Vlaco on the media availability, and I was just like, you're going all in on the goalkeepers, right? And he was like, well, we're going all in on this entire roster, right? Like, when you actually look at I mean, people were joking on Twitter, like, it's Becky and the kids, right? I mean, like, yeah, you have Lindsay Horan and Roosevelt, but I mean, when you look at the goalkeepers and especially the forwards, right? Like the forward line too, the person with the most seniority in the forward line right at the moment is Lynn Williams. So we really are finally, you know, like I know that people were getting extremely frustrated and I get like, I think it's valid, but those four games over the fall were contractually obligated as part of the Olympic maneuverings, right? Like not really a victory tour um, as we usually know it, but still like the rosters were constrained by who was on that Olympic roster. Um, The other stat that really delighted me in the press release for this roster was like, the two oldest players are Becky Sauerbrunn and Christy Mewis. And I was just like, man, that's so <laughs> not what we're used to at all. Like, at all. And it just, mm-hmm. like, when Christy Mewis is the second oldest player in a camp, I, like, it's just, that was very amusing to me. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> um, in terms of, let's let's just finish out. Uh, midfield, Haran, Lavelle. Katarina Macario, Christy Mewis, Ashley Sanchez, and Andy Sullivan. I think Ashley Sanchez probably got some of the most attention. Right. Well, because she's the she's the new one in this bunch. The rest of them, you can see kind of where Vlaco maybe is like, I need to keep some kind of contingency plan in place. So Becky, Abby, and Tierna, pretty solid. And then kind of coming back up into the center, that's a midfield, like, I was talking about how much I, I really wanted to see the Lavelle Macario Sullivan midfield, but that's also not a new thing. It's just something mm-hmm. that I enjoy. So even yeah. among the younger or like the newer players, he's already started doing some of that mixing and matching. And Sanchez really is the, the question mark here. I think the other really interesting thing that Vlako Andonovsky brought up on that call was the expectations for someone like Lindsey Horan, right? Like you're losing Carly Lloyd from this team um now completely right and so now he's going to be looking to that kind of what i mentally refer to as like the middle generation of players on this team right a haram of not just being able to put her imprint on the game like on the field perspective Mm -hmm. but as a leader of this team right and it is kind of funny to like 
I mean, like, I feel like Haran in my brain is sometimes still like still getting her shoelaces trapped in the escalator in France because she's going <laughs> off to PSG, right? Like, I, but now to think about how long she's actually been on this team, how many caps she has, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that is a player that you need to now take that kind of next evolution into being able to control a game in a couple of different ways. And that that is now the expectation from the U.S. Women's National Team as well. Mm-hmm. Blacko did say this is why he rates Ashley Sanchez in the uh, pregame call that we had with him with the media. Um, he, she said she's gotten better at solving problems under pressure, finding tight spaces, connecting with the front line. She's more committed to playing defense and she covers lots of ground. So I think that should give you a pretty good idea of the role that he envisions for her in the midfield should he give her some time. And then maybe you can kind of plot like, okay, if he is expecting um, kind of her playing on both sides of the ball uh, maybe more than some of the others, then you can kind of plot what you want from the others in that, like if the, if Macario's on or if LaBelle is on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's let's talk about forwards. Bethany Balser, Ashley Hatch, Midge Burse, Sophia Smith, Lynn Williams, and Morgan Weaver. I think, with apologies to Morgan Weaver, that perhaps she might have been a call-up here because he did say that Trinity Rodman and Mal Pugh were invited and opted out um, mm-hmm. from this trip. And so, you know, perhaps there's two players on here, in fact, that, might have been like, okay, and then we keep going down the list of the forwards that we want to see. Um, which I'm not trying to cast aspersions on the player, but, you know, just the the ranking the coaches have of their abilities. It's just, you know, that's sports. Yeah, I mean, it's how a depth chart. Yeah, exactly. So okay. I, I yeah. think Smith, Williams, Purse, and Hatch are probably your locks here who's like, yeah, I want to evaluate these players no matter what. And then possibly Balser and Weaver, although I don't want to you know give balls her short shrift because she has been consistently good for the rain right and also i mean you know black and Donofsky product right yeah, exactly. like in terms of so again you know the same way that he talked about casey murphy right like that's kind of the same vibe of someone that he's been able to like see the development process up close yeah but again like i think the the rewarding thing here is and the tension has always been like does NWSL performance ever count right and I think when you're actually starting to see some of these call-ups we can point and say like well clearly right like players are getting rewarded for the seasons that they've had especially now as we start to move in to this next phase right like we're into the next cycle now finally I guess the question is you know we've got this camp we've got January camp 
And then I think what's going to be really interesting is charting the course over the next year of how NWSL performance and national team call-ups really start to interact because it's going to be a lot more instructive than right now, which it really is kind of like, I think a lot of the veteran players were like, I'm not going to Australia for Thanksgiving. Thank you. (laughs) I'm good. Um, Right. And, and kind of taking that step back, we've had players opt out too for, for camps for multiple reasons. And so we really are now kind of like at the start of let's evaluate the pool as an entirety and get players a, a lot of discussion from Black Andonofsky about getting players into the environment, seeing how they respond to the challenges. And I think this is going to be the really interesting part where I think that there are going to be failures along the way, right? And now we get to really see how those failures are used as a developmental tool instead of them happening during the Olympics. Because <laughs> that's that's the most recent part of it that we've seen. Like there was, there were failures to learn from at the Olympics. And I don't know if we've ever really fully seen kind of the acknowledgement in terms of like what worked and what didn't and why some of these reasons, right? And now we're into the next part. And so like, what are the lessons that are coming from the previous cycle into the next cycle? And how is that going to interact too? I don't want to go so far as to say that this roster is going to be like the moment that I knew Vlako truly was transitioning everybody out. But I do really like that he is maximizing it because how often does U.S. soccer arrange opportunities like this where they're flying... First of all, all the way to Australia. So it's an away game. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they tend not to arrange a ton of away games because everybody comes to us. Um, and against an opponent like Australia, where if they're going to an away game, it's not just going to be some like we played them and we won 6 1 and didn't really learn anything. So, you know, he's taking this opportunity and it's decided like, I'm not going to take the same old crew. How often do we truly do an away trip against a, a good opponent? I'm going to take a bunch of kids for whom I'm not going to get a chance like this probably for a long time, especially considering travel restrictions are probably still going to stay tight for another, what, year? Yeah. So, right. I don't think that necessarily, like, yeah. I mean, I I just think... You know, this is this is kind of the age of this team that we've always been waiting for in terms of like it had to be delayed, right? Like we all kind of understand. And I think that was something that Vlaco brought up himself is that the forward pool, he he was like, Yes, they need to they need calls, but they also need experience because everything is set back by a year, right? Like some of these players should be further along than they are right mm-hmm. now because our hand was forced because we weren't playing. Mm -hmm. And so now, and I mean, to be fair, every single team is in that position, right? But how do you accelerate that process and come in and try to account for the fact that some of these players should have been getting other development opportunities, even with the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And this is the way that you do it. Like this is the problem solving is bringing three, three goalkeepers, right? With seven (laughs) caps between them. That's how you do it. Right. I mean, and here's the reality. Alex Morgan is 32. Kristen Press is 32. By 2023, 
I think Kristen Press will be 34 because she's like a December birthday. And then Alex Morgan will be like, I think, 35. Um, certainly still an age where they're going to be able to play. But 2023 is their last World Cup. It's got to be just as a forward who gets more miles on their legs and particularly Alex Morgan, who gets beat up every single time she enters yeah, the box. Yeah, I mean, like that is half her role is just like, please take physical abuse on behalf of this team. Thank you. Right. So, yeah. and they're both extraordinarily known quantities. Also, Kristen Price is opting out because she's taking some space for herself, which is great, you know? Um, so, yeah, when Vladko is like, we have to expand the player, the forward pool in particular, we have to give these, you know middle generation and then younger generation players experience i feel like initially maybe there was a little bit of pushback against that just that i saw because people were like we're fine we score a lot of goals but then when you start to kind of plot out like how old the the most prominent strikers are on this team um and then look at okay we've got like sophia smith mal Pugh and the wings that sort of thing but that's still not like a huge striker pool yeah yeah, I mean, I also just don't think it hurts to give people a chance to prove themselves in, like, like meaningful games, mm-hmm. right? So, you know what else I like is some of these NWSL players who are getting called in for their first time are also going to get paid. <laughs> They're going to get paid yeah. a little bit of national team money to go to Australia. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Yep. All right. Let's wrap up with some... Taylor Swift talk, <laughs> mostly because also I need to be on another call soon. Um, I do, I we got a question that asked if we skip directly to the 10 minute version of All Too Well or if we listened in order. And I will fully admit, I actually, I started with um, a different From the Vault track uh, first because I saw a tweet saying that it was a bop. So I started there instead. And then I went to All Too Well, the 10 minute version. But Yes, I started with Message in a Bottle, which I really like. I see. I um, I thought I was going to be disciplined and listen in order. And then I got antsy and just skipped to the Phoebe Bridgers one. Nothing new. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, so I made it I made it a fair ways through before I just skipped. Like, I think I listened to about nine or ten songs before I was like, this is taking too long. <laughs> I want to listen to the news. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Um. It was really funny because I, I obviously everyone knew that this was coming, but I was just like, you know what? I got the I got the email from the Taylor Swift store and they were like, we have signed CDs available. And I was like, I'm going to, it's like $20. I'll order it. And now I'm just like, I'm very glad that I did this. <laughs> <laughs> like, congrats past Meg, who didn't really have a firm opinion about ordering the CD. Now you feel very strongly about it. Good work. Um. I mean, I will also say I don't think I'm Taylor's target audience. Like some of the folks here are more like more heavily country inspired stuff doesn't mm. quite resonate with me musically. That's just not my genre. My yeah. wife fucking loves folk music, though. So maybe <laughs> finally we'll overlap in pop culture for once. Um, yeah. But she likes full on like uh, like Catskills. What's it? The quartet where you have like fiddle, banjo and there's a specific name for it. Anyway, that's what she likes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I kind of and I also gravitate towards the songs that are more about like longing, although that applies to how like what percentage of Taylor Swift songs, like 70 percent, 80 percent. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, a lot. Well, and and, you know, I mean, we've been sending each other the best Jake Hall <laughs> references slash 
all the ones that make me laugh the most are the ones that like when John Mayer realizes that he's next for when Speak Now gets redone. Like I, you know, God bless the internet on a Taylor Swift release day because it it just turns into a wild place. I really enjoy it. The first thing I saw this morning when I woke up, you know, your alarm goes off, you grab your phone, you check your your email or socials or whatever. But literally the first thing I saw was that Brooklyn Nine-Nine where <laughs> Andy Samberg is going, guess who just got murdered? It's a picture of good old Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely texted Marjorie to be like, hey, um, I know that you are not as into Taylor Swift as I am, but like, I highly recommend listening to All Too Well, the 10 minute version, because if you want to hear Jake Gyllenhaal get murdered via song, like it is really, it's an experience. It's an experience. Um, If you just read the lyrics, it's such a punch, like just a punch in the face. Yeah. Yeah. I've also seen like some good discussion about how a lot of this, and this is this is going to take us in a real different direction, but a lot of the themes on this album work really well if you have read the seven the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo, and so I just want to leave you with that thought. Your little seven husbands agenda. <laughs> as someone as someone who made you read that book, I just want to leave you with that thought and make you, as you're listening to this album, view it through that lens because it's going to make your insights hurt. The worst is when your friend is like, here's the soundtrack for the book that you're reading now. And then you're like, oh, no, the book already was emotionally getting to me. But now there's a soundtrack that I'm hearing in my head like as I'm playing out the scenes. Is that how you read books? Because as I read books, I'm constructing the scene in my head like a movie image. And that's how mm-hmm. words like translate into thoughts in my brain, which I have found out is not how everybody perceives and yeah, interprets that's not, words. That's not. No. Not for me. But also, to be fair, I'm a speed reader. So my brain kind of like got broken at a formative age when I took a speed reading class. So like, oh, no. I don't do a lot of that processing. Oh, so. yeah, yeah. As I'm going through, I'm literally blocking out everything like as as a movie and playing it out. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely not how I read. I, I know other people who are like yeah. that, but that is not how my brain works. So but now I do. I, I hope that you <laughs> as you finish listening to this album, <laughs> put it put it through this is this is really a a conversation that you know like a good 15 people are going to understand when they listen to this podcast but i have no regrets yeah at least you got a little glimpse into literally how our brains function yeah our shared brain cell maybe i should not have put that information out there because as you know my (laughs) deepest desire is to never be perceived but it's too late (laughs) all right Steph. uh i'm sure we will check in and if nothing else i will see you in louisville have fun at the semifinals, pal. All right. Thank you for tuning in to this week's full time. And next week we will be in Louisville for the NWSL championship for all things full time. Visit fulltimepod.com. There are links for all the major podcast platforms in one spot, plus more info about the show. Again, subscribe to The Athletic and you support all of our women's soccer coverage right now at theathletic.com slash full time. My name is Meg Linehan, and you have been listening to Full Time with Meg Linehan. You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at It's Meg Linehan and my work at The Athletic. Full Time does not exist without the work and support of senior podcast producer Michael Zimmerman, who puts up with my travel schedule this month. Thank you, as always, to Michael from The Athletic. I'm Meg, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.